Thank you, Josh. Let's go. Overflow, fall kickoff. I have been looking forward to this day for quite some time. I think we picked the date for tonight back in April of last year. And tonight uh, is exciting for so many different reasons. It's actually my first fall kickoff uh, in my job as the overflow director here uh, at Port City. And it's the first night that our staff, Jake and Jenna, have led the way at a fall kickoff. It's the first night that our intern team is leading the way uh, in, this, in this gathering and in this place. And it just fills me up with so much excitement for all that is to come uh, this year. And we're going to talk a good bit about that tonight. But what Josh just prayed is so incredibly true. You have a place here. And if you don't hear anything else that I say over the next few minutes or that we sing at the end of the night, and maybe you leave tonight and you still don't know where you are with God, you don't know what you believe about the Bible, maybe you believe in something entirely different, that's perfectly okay. The thing that I would ask that you take with you tonight is that you have a place here. Our love for you is unconditional. It's not going anywhere. We wanna walk with you every step of the way through college. And I believe, I really, really do believe that your life will be better as a result of you being a part of this community. So uh, before we go any further tonight, uh, I would love to take a moment and introduce myself. If we've never had uh, the pleasure of meeting before, my name is Carson and uh, I'm married uh, to my very, very best friend. We've actually been married for five years this past July. Uh, her name is Maddie. Uh, we can put this photo on the screen. June 13th of this year, Lennon Parker Gosley uh, came into our house, and I figured uh, family doesn't just show pictures. It actually brings her... She's asleep. You can come out too. No? This is Lennon, everybody. She's sleeping. And I want you all to notice something. Her grandmother, you can't really, see. oh, you see the eyes? Say hey to your friends. She's two months old, y'all, and she has changed every part of my life. And she has a little You Belong Here crew neck on that her, you can barely see it because it's like a six month old thing, but say hey. She's a grunter all the time. She's like, Ugh. all the time. Say, hey, Lynn, I just wanted y'all to meet her because this is the light of my life right here. Maddie, you can come get her. Um, <laughs> did y'all think I was gonna preach all night with her? She'd spit up all over me. And no, she didn't. Bye, say bye, women. Can y'all say bye to Lennon? Oh, man, that makes my whole day. I, I, have, I have loved being a dad. Uh, let me tell you something. Uh, just so y'all know, one day when you're parents, uh, you just don't sleep. Like, it, it, it people told me that, and I was like, they're being so pessimistic. You don't, you don't sleep. And I sleep a lot compared to Maddie because I'm a really, really heavy sleeper. That's another story for another time. But uh, I, I really want you to know uh, that Maddie and I and our entire family, uh, we're for you. We believe in you. And I hope that Lennon sits where you sit one day. Maybe it's here or somewhere else, but sits in a gathering like this, participates in a community like this that is inclusive, is encouraging, is loving, and is passionate about making people feel that they 
belong. A few more people that like really, really work hard to make Overflow reality is our Overflow staff team. Uh, we have a picture that we took yesterday afternoon. Uh, that's Jacob Turner on the left, Jake Smith you met during the welcome. Uh, I'm in the middle and then Jenna you met during the welcome and then Kaylee you heard from setting up worship tonight. Uh, this is the staff, these are the staff leaders uh, that are pressing ahead, leading the way uh, in overflow this year. I hope that you get a chance to meet all of them because uh, they are gifted at what they do beyond measure. And here's the deal, they love you. We've been talking about this all the time in the office over the past couple weeks. The summer is kind of rough for us because it feels like 75% of our people are gone, which I guess that's reality. Uh, but it's like, we, Jake and I are the two extroverts in the office and we're like, we're depleted in the summer. Like we are ready for y'all people to be back. The past four days have been long, but it has been super energizing uh, to be on campus with you. Another group of people, we have 45 interns serving at our church this year. Uh, that's some of them from the other day. Uh, there's 14 overflow interns uh, that serve on Tuesdays and at OCO, shout out to the overflow campus organization. Uh, then there's four production interns that serve uh, in this room every Tuesday night for the course of the year. Uh, there's so many people who believe in you, who want the best for you, who want you to feel and to know without a shadow of a doubt that you truly do belong here. And the thing that we say, it's on a banner out front and you're gonna hear this consistently throughout this year. We really do believe that you belong here and that we belong together. And when you begin to look into your life, when you begin to pull back the curtain and get underneath the surface of your life, I believe and our team believes and our church believes that you are made for this. You are made to live and to love like Jesus. It's in your DNA. It's the way that you are designed and it's the way I believe that you will live a full and free and full of hope life. When you begin or when you decide to say, Jesus, I'm following your way. And let me tell you something. I don't know if you grew up in church or you grew up around Christianity at all and you've kind of got a perspective, you've got a lens. We're gonna talk about that a little bit tonight and then a lot over the next couple of weeks because I believe it's so incredibly important to talk about. But make no mistake, when Jesus walked the earth a little over 2,000 years ago, he changed everything. There's nothing that he didn't change about the way that we see God, about the way that we relate to God, about the way that we walk with God. And I believe that he had you in mind. 2,000 years later, attending UNCW, attending Cape Fear, maybe just kind of getting out and getting a job, finding your footing, figuring out where you're going in life. No matter where you are, I believe that Jesus is passionately for you. And we're gonna kind of peel back some layers of that tonight and kind of cast a vision for what does it look like to like step into that over the course of your life in general, but specifically over this semester, and I think something that I heard a lot growing up in church and growing up around Christianity is this. If you believe and obey, everything will be okay. I heard this over and over and over again, and for those of you uh, that just clicked your pen and said, I'm writing that down, uh, hold on a minute. Uh, let, let me explain a little bit more. Uh, this statement drove me crazy, and if I'm being really, really honest, it still drives me crazy. Because that statement reduces following Jesus to a list of behaviors and a list of ideas that you have in your mind. 
And I'm here to tell you that following Jesus has far, 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 far more to do with the condition of your heart than it does anything. Jesus loves you as a person, as a being. He loves your wiring. He loves the way that you do life. He loves your dreams. He loves your passions. He put them inside of you. There is nothing that you can do to prevent God from loving you. And the most, one of the most famous Bible verses of all time, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Don't, make no mistake that following Jesus isn't a list of checkboxes. It's not a list of things to, to force yourself into immediately. It's a way of living where you encounter the life-giving love of Jesus. And I believe when you begin to read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, real biographies, real accounts of the life of Jesus, you begin to see a picture of God that maybe you didn't get to see when you were a kid. Maybe you weren't introduced to that level of faith. Maybe you weren't introduced to that reality of Jesus because it was so focused on what you believe and how you act. And if you can't get on board with either one of those things, then you're out and you can't belong. Let me be really clear. You belong no matter where you are and what you believe or what you do because we believe Jesus loves you passionately. I think that when you think about college and you think about life in general and where we are all going, I don't know how many of us are in the room tonight, but we're all going in different directions and we've all got different dreams and we've all got different passions. And the thing that I would love for you to begin to consider is what was will not suffice for what will be, especially when it comes to your faith. Your childhood faith has got to grow up with you. If you consider yourself a Jesus follower, if you grew up in church and you've got a picture of God, you've got a way of belief, you've got a way of connecting with God, that's going to have to grow with you. That's going to have to evolve and mature with you as you go. What was will not suffice for the things that you're going to experience later this year, even tomorrow. Tomorrow is gonna require a new level of faith, a new depth to your faith. And I think that when we begin to think about this and the, and the sources that we have for our faith, it's time for us all to do some really, really hard work and get beneath the surface and go, why do I believe what I believe? Where does that come from? When you, when you go to bed at night and you close your eyes and you think about the world and you think about what might be real, where does that come from? Where does the answer come come from. I invite you in this place and in any place in our church, process the answer to that question freely. You're not going to be judged. Ask the question. Say the thing. We're for you no matter what, remember? Because we, be, we believe that you belong here. I had a professor in college, uh, one of my last classes. Uh, I was a government science major with an emphasis in national security and homeland security. Not sure why. Uh, <laughs> It sounded really cool, and my professor uh, was a retired CIA officer and Marine Corps officer, and he was by the book, and he had this really uh, obnoxious policy. Uh, he accepted two grades. He, he gave zeros, and he gave 100s. 
And before you think that that's a good thing, it's not. Uh, because he also believed that he, he, it was his mission, it was his calling in life to make us the best that we could be. So we would submit an assignment and it would not be worth 100%. So he would say, resubmit. And then you would have to resubmit and resubmit and resubmit. But he had this rule. You cannot use the original version. You have to start from scratch. And it was like, dude, I don't have time to write this 12-page paper four times from scratch. So I did what any of you would do, and I just started submitting doctored up versions of the original. And I would change as many things as I possibly could to make it seem like, okay, I did the work and it's different and it's, it's new and it's fresh. I don't even remember this guy's name and I guess I'm trying to forget it. And uh, he would then respond back, Carson, you, you didn't start from scratch. You need to start from scratch or you're getting a zero. And what I realized halfway through the semester is I was not changing any of my sources. <laughs> Uh, so it was pretty obvious. He just scrolled to the bottom of the paper and it was the same source every single time. And the thing that I, the reason that I bring this up is sources, sources in your life, sources of your faith drive the content every single time. Where your faith comes from is critically important to consider because you can change the things that you think about. But if the sources don't change, you're going to be stuck in the same exact pattern over and over and over again to the point where you just want to give up entirely and potentially walk away. Two things that I believe about everybody in this room. One is that we, believe, we all believe in someone or something. We all believe in someone or something. Whether you believe in God or not, you believe in something. And maybe your belief is that there is not a God. Maybe that's your belief, and that's perfectly okay. You belong here. You are going to find a home here. But the second thing is that we're all carrying something. And a lot of us are carrying a lot of different things. And I, I had this picture this past weekend when we were at UNCW Move-In. Uh, John, I would love if you can push that cart to me. Uh, with this picture, as we were helping students move in, of all of the different things that we carry. And I was like, I wonder if UNCW would let me borrow one of their carts for this. And they politely said no. And so I found, I found a cart in our warehouse and I stuffed it full of stuff. But let me tell you all about move-in real quick. Uh, I've never been to move-in before, but I had the time of my life. Uh, we were there on Saturday, we were at Loggerhead. Uh, shout out, anybody, anybody live in Loggerhead? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Did we, did we help you move in? Oh, yeah, I, I, of course. Uh, it, 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 was, it was a great time. It really was. And then we were waiting for the, the elevator for what felt like 20 minutes of time every time we went to Terrapin. So we were trying to stay in Loggerhead. Uh, shout out, Terrapin. All right, so uh, a couple things. Uh, I got assigned a cart because I was a registered volunteer. And one of the instructions uh, that the UNCW staff gave us, was that they said, don't let go of the cart because parents will take the cart from you and you'll never see the cart again, and then you're gonna be stuck carrying uh, 18,000 mini fridges up the stairs on your own. So don't let go of the cart. Y'all, so many of your parents asked me for my cart, and I was like, no ma'am, I'm, I'm so sorry, I, I, I've been instructed, I'm a rule follower, I'm not really a rule follower, but in this moment I was, and I was like, ma'am, I have to hold on to the cart. And there, anyway, we're, we're gonna come back to that. Uh, but then, just one more thing, uh, this is important. Uh, Somebody called me an elevator thief and I was not trying to steal the elevator, I promise you. But the image that I had is everybody moving into college 
bringing as much stuff as they could, stuffing their car full. There was somebody that moved in with a U-Haul, shout out. You, 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 you are impressive. Your ability to pack all that stuff in a dorm room, I, I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it. But you come with all this stuff when you show up freshman year. And it, it, it's stuff that you, you think that you need, stuff that you enjoyed back home. But I just had this visual of we're all pushing a cart around in our life of all kinds of different things. We've all got questions. Questions about God, questions about who you are, questions about your family, questions about your friends, questions about what you might end up doing one day. Maybe they're questions about where you go when you die. die. But we all have a ton of questions. Maybe you've got questions about some of the serious political topics of the day, and you don't feel like you have a safe place in your life to begin to process them. But nonetheless, you're navigating life with all of the questions that you have in your inner world, maybe the questions that you pursue with your friend group. You also have a laundry basket full of tension and drama, maybe things that happen back home, maybe things that are happening in your friend group right now. Maybe you've already had drama with your roommate. Maybe you've already got tension about the volume of the house late at night. Maybe you have a difference in values. Maybe you've got a difference in a set of beliefs. You're like, okay, I'm moving in and I got all this tension and I have all this drama, but I don't know what to do with it. Then some of you've got pressure. Your parents lay it on thick. Some of you are athletes in the room and people have got big expectations for you to continue to perform really, really well and for you to continue to get better. And that might influence the the next step that you get to take or you don't get to take in your life. But nonetheless, you walk around every single day, you go to every single coffee shop and attend every single class with a box full of pressure that you might just be tired of carrying. The list goes on. Some of you have got a big bag of insecurity. Every room you walk in, you're curious if they actually care about you. Some of you are wildly successful academically or athletically, but in your private world, and your thought life, you deal with insecurity at every turn. You go to bed every night stressed about what people think. If they get better than you, then what happens to your place on the team? You've got things like the past. Yes, I did bring a TV on stage. And the reason I like this is because I moved somebody in with a TV bigger than their wall. But I think this is a perfect visual. Uh Uh-oh. Because a lot of us, the past is stuck on replay. That thing that you did in high school, it replays in your mind, that thing you did last semester. For some of you, there was something that was done to you that you had no control over, that you've never told anybody, but it replays in your life over and over and over and over again, and you don't know if you can take it anymore. But maybe carrying it by yourself feels a little bit better than the potential of bringing somebody else into it, so you've just learned to live with the pain of the past. Some of you have been hurt maybe by your parents or by somebody really close to you. And this feels really, really heavy because it's all that you can see. 
the list continues to go on. I think the two are related. There's a lot of these storage bins packed full of stuff. And that, I think, represents our mental health. When you look at the world that we live in and you look at the statistics around mental health, depression, anxiety, self-harm, suicidal ideation, eating disorders, we all have them. We all have thoughts about our mental health. We all have struggles with our mental health, myself included. This summer has been incredibly hard for me for a lot of different reasons. This has been a thing that I've been carrying, that I've been talking about, that I've been seeking help for. And it's heavy, and it's hard, and it's complicated. And you feel ashamed to even bring it up. And then the mini fridge. And you got your faith. You have the God question. And yeah, it's heavy. Just like all 18,000 mini fridges that we moved were. Y'all, some of y'all have like the really tall ones. But when it comes to your faith, when it comes to God, you're full of thoughts. You're full of, of weight. The way I would describe it is when, when I was younger and I took scuba diving lessons, I couldn't sink to the bottom. And so they had to put a weighted vest on me to get me to go to the bottom so I could actually scuba dive. And some of you feel like you're walking around with a hundred pound weighted vest on all the time, full of insecurity, full of tension, full of conversations around your mental health that you haven't had, full of pressure from the people in your life. You're full of questions. You've got the past on replay. And then, then just maybe you can begin to consider, is God real? And if God is real, is God good? And if God is good, does he want to be involved in my life? And if he wants to be involved in my life, why does he want to be involved in my life? Does he want something from me or does he want something for me? All of these questions begin to bubble up to the surface. And the thing that I think we've got to begin to see is that Jesus is with you in the middle of all of these things and he does not want to dismiss them. He does not want to just say, deal with your insecurity. Deal with your questions. Have better answers. It's not just believe and obey and everything will be okay. It's better than that. When Jesus came to the planet, he was demonstrating God's passionate pursuit of doing life with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Which I believe this invitation is for us to have a different kind of faith. Because when the, the depth of our faith is, is linked to the condition of our circumstances. We have what I would call an only if kind of faith. We believe in God when we don't have questions. We believe in God when the pressure is manageable. We believe in God when our mental health seems to be doing okay. We believe in God when he seems near. Or we have a good experience at church. Or we have a good experience at overflow. And let me tell you, an only if kind of faith is only gonna take you so far. And the invitation, I believe, of the story of God through the Bible and through the life of Jesus is into a different kind of faith. A faith that I would describe and that David describes in Psalm 23 as an even though 
kind of faith. Even though you've got questions, even though you're insecure, even though you've got tension and drama, even though you've got pressure in your life, you're pressing on because of who Jesus says that you are. So if you have your Bible, I would love to invite you uh, to turn to Psalm chapter 23. I would love to look at this together because when you begin to press in uh, to the life of David, the author of this, you begin to see very, very early on that David did not have it all figured out. In fact, he was sometimes the poster child for not having it all figured out. Murder, adultery were just two of the things. It seems like a lot of the times that you read uh, his writing or the stories about him, he's on the run for his life. It seemed like at every turn, something was going wrong for David. So in Psalm chapter 23, he writes in verse four, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And then this next part is so beautifully written. He says, surely, because of what I believe about who God is, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Even though I walk through uncertainty, even though I walk through moments of instability, even though I struggle with all of these things on the stage, I won't fear any evil because your goodness, God, is following me passionately every single step of the way. It's a different view because what it says is maybe these things don't go away. Maybe these things don't change very, very quickly. Maybe you enter into a process that takes longer than you expected. Maybe you don't have answers to all of your questions or all of the ideas about God, but you can believe, like David, that his goodness, that God's goodness is following you all the days of your life, wherever you go, in the dark valleys and on the victorious mountaintops, that God is inviting you to a table with him to commune with him, to learn about him, and for him to establish value and speak love and encouragement over your life. And I think that when this, when this idea comes to the surface, and I would imagine you're probably thinking, okay, but how? When it comes to living out my faith in an even though kind of way in college, Carson, you have no idea how hard it is. You have no idea the things that I'm struggling with because this is just to begin to scratch the surface. I think Jesus, he calls us to this kind of faith, but he didn't just call us to it, he demonstrated it. And when you, if you turn in your Bible all the way, fast forward to John chapter six. Uh, for those of you that don't know, a guy named John wrote the book of John. Uh, there's some debate around which John it was, whether it was the disciple John or John the elder, who was somebody who lived in Jerusalem around that time, uh, who kind of collected a lot of different accounts and put them all together to form the book of John, but the thing that he captures in John chapter six is a, a lot of different things, but it's coming on the heels of Jesus feeding uh, the 5,000 people and walking on the water, and then all of a sudden, 
Uh, the, people find, the people catch up to him after this crazy kind of story of him going across uh, the lake. And they begin to ask him all these questions about uh, what must we do to do the work God requires. And then he says the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And then he says that he is the actual source, that he is uh, the, the, the life that they are looking for. He is the resource that they have been longing for. And then they begin to tie back to a story that you find in the book of Exodus uh, where God feeds the people of Israel from manna from heaven. And we're not gonna kind of go into all of those details today. But Jesus begins to reframe the view to say, it, it's, not, it's not these things that make God real. It's not when these things begin to dissipate that make God good. It's his presence with you in the midst of these things that begin to empower you to live out and even though kind of faith. So if you begin to look down in verse 35, it says that Jesus said, I'm the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe because Jesus did not meet their expectations because they had an inaccurate view of what Jesus would be like. He said, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. The message translation of the Bible says it like this, that Jesus said that he will hold on to you and never let go. And I think this is really interesting because it's a different way to see God. It's a different way to see faith because you might have been raised to believe that the better you act and the more beliefs that you carry, the better your life will automatically become and all of these circumstances will begin to magically get better. But Jesus is saying, I'm gonna be with you in it. And what's to come was something that he talked about and he forecasted his death and he forecasted uh, the way that he would rise again from the dead. But as even his closest followers couldn't seem to understand what Jesus was actually doing. Why? I would submit that they were distracted. That their focus was on the wrong thing because they were waiting for him to magically take all of these things away in the equivalent of their time. They were oppressed by the Roman government and they were waiting for God to come back in the world, lay the smack down on it and begin to rule and reign in, in his way uh, where they became the wealthy and they became the prestigious people of the world. But Jesus came, came as a servant. He came as somebody to represent God being with us in the middle of our questions, in the middle of the pressure, in the middle of our insecurity. Which is why I would love for you to begin to consider what is actually going on in your life? What are you expecting God to take away that he hasn't taken away and that's impacting the way that you see him to begin with? Are you holding a promise against God that he never made? Later on in the book of John, Jesus promises that we will have trouble. And he goes on to say, take heart. For I have overcome the world. If you were here at Overflow last semester, we had an entire series on that. He didn't promise that we would not experience pain and suffering. He actually, he actually guaranteed it. So how do we go from here? Well, I think step one is beginning to understand 
that when shame isolates, comparison steals, misplaced hope disappoints, insecurity distracts and drama complicates, pressure compiles, and your identity is challenged, Jesus is saying, you are safe with me. Even when the shame doesn't dissipate immediately, even though you can't turn off the comparison side of your brain very, very quickly, even though you're still dealing with disappointment, even, even though you're still grieving, even though you've still got things that are going on in your life that are less than ideal, Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're safest with me. Do life with me. Be personal with me. And when we say that Jesus changed everything, this is one of the reasons that we believe that. As Jesus made walking with God personal, not legalistic, he made it really, really clear that it's about a genuine relationship that is familial with the God of all creation. It is not a formula. It is not something that everyone executes the exact same way. Your faith is gonna be different than the person sitting beside you and behind you and in front of you and maybe even watching online tonight. And I think that the sooner that we begin to see this, that Jesus made walking with God highly and incredibly personal, we can begin to say, okay, I can deal with my questions a little bit differently. I can begin to deal with the pressure that is sitting on my shoulders a little bit more holistically. I can have a bigger perspective on the things that are going on in my life because I'm pursuing a genuine relationship with God. The other thing I think that you need to know is that difficulty is inevitable, but hope has a name. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. And Jesus moved heaven and earth to be a lasting hope for you and for your life in college, out of college, in any and every season of life. Jesus wants to be your hope. And when you begin to look at the, the people that were closest to Jesus and the way that they lived their life after Jesus departed the earth, you begin to see an entirely bigger picture for the way that Jesus actually surrendered himself and he leveraged all that he was. And I think if we're really, really honest, we've all got people in our life that we know that have incredible faith, or at least it seems like they do. And you begin to go, okay, well, how do I have that kind of faith? Or how do I begin to believe holistically and absolutely and unconditionally that hope has a name? I was thinking about this and I was thinking about overflow and I was thinking about the people in my life and a really good friend of mine popped into my mind as an immediate example of this. And it's a little bit of a backstory and some of you know the story, but my friend is named Luke. His name's Luke Stillwell. And he attended Overflow for several years and he interned on our team. And he loved Jesus very, very deeply. We had a very unique relationship. He asked me to be his mentor and I didn't feel very equipped to be his mentor, but I said, well, I, I love lunch, so we can, we can go to lunch. So we started going and uh, over the course of time, he, he developed a medical condition where he was having seizures very, very often. 
And we met for lunch one day, and he began to describe all these questions that he was having and kind of what that was doing to his inner world. And he kind of, he, he warned me the night before. He said, dude, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna tell you, like, I, I, have a lot, I have a lot to process. I have a lot to think about. And as we were navigating the conversation, I was kind of just listening to him articulate where he was. He described everything that he was afraid of and all of his questions, and then he ended it all by saying, but in spite of all that, I trust God. And I was like, I, that's an incredible level of faith. It was an incredible level of surrender. It was an incredible idea to go, okay, you, you don't know what tomorrow looks like in your life, but you're sitting here across the table from me in Mission Barbecue saying, Carson, above all else, I trust God because the God that I have began to know is named Jesus, and that is the only place that my hope lies. Little did I know, two weeks later from that conversation, I would stand on this stage as we celebrated his life because he unexpectedly passed away on May 1st of this year. Luke trusted even though his circumstances were uncertain. Luke knew something, that you can't navigate life to the fullest without and even though kind of faith, because the depth that an only if kind of faith, it isn't deep enough, it isn't strong enough, and I would give anything in the world for Luke to be here tonight. In fact, tonight is incredibly hard for a lot of Luke's core people who are here, including his parents. But here's what Kevin and Martha, his parents, said. They said, we want to be for Overflow. We want to be for the students of this generation because we know what they're facing. We know what they're going through. And we want them to have a faith that counts. We want them to have help navigating these things. We don't want them to be alone. And Luke wanted the same. That's why he was a leader. That's why he consistently gave himself away to the people around him, because he believed that Jesus was who he said that he was. He believed that Jesus changed everything. He believed that his hope was secure in God. Now, as we begin a semester, and as we begin this year, What's our move? What are we gonna do? As a generation and as a people, are we gonna choose the level of faith that Luke chose? Are we gonna choose the level of faith that Peter and John and Luke and Matthew and David chose? That when things are uncertain, when things are hard, when things are complicated, when things just don't make sense, are we going to say, I'm gonna trust that Jesus wants to be with me in the middle of it, or, I'm or am I going to walk away entirely 
Because what was will not suffice for what is to come. We need a bigger and a deeper and a stronger version of faith to navigate the life that we're living. And Jesus demonstrated this in the way that he handled himself in the final moments of his life. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, we get a window into this. I think it's incredibly helpful because I think oftentimes we can think that God is calling us to do something that he didn't have to do himself. But Peter says this in verse 20 of chapter two of 1 Peter. He says, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Sounds pretty familiar. He said all that he was and all that he had He was surrendering to his heavenly father. That's an incredibly deep faith. That's an incredibly deep level of belief. But what would be different in our world if we as a generation rose up and said, we're gonna pursue an even though kind of faith? What would be different in your life? What would be different about the way that you tackle some of these issues on the stage? What would be different about the way that you talk to your family? What would be different about the way that you approach school? What would be different about the way that you saw God? If you decided, I'm gonna choose to have the faith of David. I'm gonna choose to have the faith of Luke. I'm gonna choose to have the faith of Jesus. And I'm going to entrust myself to the one who judges justly, the one who is in heaven, the one who sees the full picture, the one who loves you unconditionally the one who's so passionate about you, he gave everything to have you, the one who didn't ask you to do something that he wasn't first willing to do. That's Jesus. And I would submit that Jesus knows you by name, right where you sit. He knows all the things that you're carrying. He knows all the things that you're struggling with. And he's looking you in the face and saying, you're safe with me, no matter what. I want to invite you to stand where you are. Earlier tonight, Kaylee said something really, really beautiful. She said, worship isn't about just an experience, it's about an encounter. And over the next few moments, what if we started our fall together, encountering the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the good shepherd that is Jesus? What if we sang these words in great anticipation to believe them, to hold on to them, to have a renewed perspective of who God is and what God wants to do 
in your life. Jesus, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for the words of David and the example and the life and the resurrection of Jesus demonstrating the faith that we're made for. God, I ask that in some crazy way that everybody in this room at some point tonight, whether it's in this moment, the moment that follows, or maybe later on tonight, would just feel something inside of them that feels encouraged, that feels like they are not alone, that there are people that care about them, that there is a God in heaven that sees them and loves them. God, in this moment, as we start Overflow this fall, we thank you for the life of Luke Stillwell. And we thank you for his faith. We thank you for the example that he gave us. Of in the midst of uncertainty, God, he trusted you above all else. God, I pray, I ask that you would raise that kind of faith up and overflow in the months to come. That we would live it out on the campus of UNCW and at Cape Fear, Brunswick Community College, every coffee shop we go into and every restaurant we walk into, every conversation we navigate, God, I pray that we would have an even though kind of faith, that just because our circumstances aren't changing at the pace that we are wanting them to change, that doesn't mean that you don't love us, it just means that you are in it with us. God, we love you and we commit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus.